0: Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schack. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Information about our congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. On Religion for Life, we talk to a number of figures, local figures, national figures, sometimes uh, religious figures, people who have something to say about religion, about earth, about social justice, about life. And today, I'm excited to have a novelist, someone who tells uh, stories, and through these stories and through these characters, touch on the deepest parts of who we are as human beings, and they enable us to approach issues of great importance. And there is no more pressing concern for us than how we will care for our home, that is, earth, for the present and for future generations. And care for earth is so controversial and is so heated and is so emotional that sometimes we can't hear each other. And so we need the poets, we need the artists, we need the storytellers to tell us about what it means to be human, to tell us how we communicate with one another, to show us our fears, to show us our desires, to show us our joys, and to present it all in a way that is not threatening, but is actually liberating and hopeful and filled with possibility. My guest is author Barbara Kingsolver, and she is in the studio with me. And the studio is WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. Uh, Welcome, Ms. Kingsolver, to Religion for Life.
1: Thanks. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Well, I am so glad you're here, and you just live right down the road a piece, don't you? Stone's
1: throw from here, yep. Not and you've
0: fun. lived here for a little while. You were here for a few years? or how?
1: I've lived here full-time since 2004. Before that, um, I spent summers here and the school year in Tucson, Arizona. We did that for about seven years. We moved back and forth with the kids but really ultimately wanted to be here so here we are and this is home for me it feels very much like home i grew up just on the other side of the mountains in eastern kentucky so this is the culture of my my childhood
0: and you talk a little bit about your life and the move from arizona back here in animal vegetable mineral
1: uh we did talk we did write about that move it's true Um, from city to country
0: and making country life really um, living locally as much as you could.
1: Right. Uh, That book was about—it was really a book about food systems and uh, local economies. It wasn't really a book about us, but we sort of posed it as a book about us to make it interesting.
0: And Barbara Kingsolver, again, my guest, she's the author of uh, at least 14 books that I saw on your website, kingsolver.com, The Bean Trees, The Poisonwood Bible, which was uh, a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize, uh, Animal Vegetable Miracle that we talked about, and her latest book is Flight Behavior. And the setting for flight behavior is somewhere around here, uh, Mm -hmm. Feathertown, I believe it's Tennessee, but I'm not sure. It's uh, never
1: exactly identified, and I do that intentionally so that... It's. I don't want some actual little town to become a tourist destination or what have you. But but the sense of it is, Southern Appalachia, this region. It sh- it could be Tennessee, it could be Virginia. But um, Knoxville is the largest city nearby. That's where people go for, uh, for their shopping and so forth. So yeah, it's these mountains. It's this region. It could be any little town around here to any tell you the town. truth. Yeah.
0: Now, can you give us just a, a quick a setup for the book?
1: This is a book about um, denial, really. That's how I think of it. It's set on a farm. Um, the protagonist is a young woman named Delarobia Robbia Turnbow, who um, had maybe big ideas, big dreams in her life, but became pregnant in high school, married... Very young, and has really settled for quite unsatisfactory, has settled for a life that doesn't make her happy. She's kind of trapped living with her sp- husband and small children and in laws on their farm, um, a, a kind of a lot of n- domestic unhappiness. Um, she has never quite. Um, given up on her dreams, but she's about to um, because she doesn't know what her dreams really are. One day, just kind of at the end of her rope, she's um, decided to to do something very wrong. She's marching up the mountain behind her house to meet uh, a younger man. She's about to initiate an affair, which she knows will wreck her life. The opening line of this book uh, says... A certain feeling comes from throwing your good life away, and it is one part rapture. She knows that she's doing something abominable, and she can't help it. It just feels like she can't stop herself. Well, on the way up the mountain, she is stopped by an amazing sight. She sees what she thinks is the whole forest on fire, but there's no fire. There's no smoke. She decides it's some strange kind of miracle turns tail, marches downhill to try to get her life in order. And um, the the novel proceeds from there. What she has seen, uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is, except to th- say that it isn't... Um, it, it, what she has seen is an extraordinary biological event. It's a sort of freakish biological event that is really a disaster. But the people in this little town... Um, uh, in the main, think it's a miracle. And so, the promise of that first sentence becomes what this book is really about. A certain feeling comes from throwing your good life away. We know we're making huge mistakes. It turns out that this shocking biological event is probably the result of climate change. And so, the novel sort of draws us all into that big mistake we're making and. The fact that we sort of can't help ourselves, and why it's so difficult to talk about climate change and its consequences, and why can we really not see what we're seeing? How's that's, that for a setup?
0: That's a great setup. That's a great setup. So, what kind of research did you need to do for flight behavior?
1: A lot of research. This um, the biological event is it turns out to be it's something that actually happens somewhere in the world, just not here. So I, ha- I of course took a trip to see that in its, uh, and it does look like a miracle. I can tell you that it's it's one of the biological wonders of the world. So there was some travel involved, a lot of reading because I read about this biological system that's described in the book. And what happens in the novel is that scientists come in from the outside to study what's going on here and why. Why has this whole system been thrown out of whack by a changing climate? The local people are sort of look askance at the outsiders. The media get involved, of course. Tourists come from everywhere. And so I had to sort of learn about all of those factions. And I wanted to get my science straight. And important characters in this novel are scientists. So I Spent time with that type of scientist and spent time in their labs to see what sort of equipment they use and uh, read their research. So I wanted to be really knowledgeable about this system uh, because even though it's not something that has happened, it is something that could happen as a result of of climate change.
0: And in the course of the novel... um I learned a lot about oh, this biological system <laughs> and I learned it in a way where it wasn't I was just going to school it was it was beautifully done and 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 it wove the system wove also with the main characters own uh, flight behavior of her own personality, right? Her own attempts at, at
1: at flying away. It's about all kinds of flight behavior. This novel, uh, the 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 fact that all of us would rather run away from our problems than to face them. The fact that it's very much easier to fly from pillar to post, as this as one character puts it, than to settle down and dig in and do one thing well. Um, and it is about the flight of this, this mysterious creature that we're implying, but not saying outright.
0: My guest, if you're just joining us on Religion for Life, is author Barbara Kingsolver. Uh, She's the author of uh, over 14 books, from uh, fiction to collections of essays. And her latest book is Flight Behavior. And it has to do with climate change. And you acknowledge uh, in the work and the acknowledgements the work of Bill McKibben Mm -hmm. and his book Earth that he spells with two E's. Uh, He's saying that uh, he needs to spell Earth differently to show that we're on a... A different planet, uh, in a sense. According to McKibben, uh, climate change has really moved us beyond the point of no return. And and, and one of the characters in your book, The Scientist, Ovid, has a rant with a television reporter, and he says, uh, quote, The glaciers that keep Asia's watersheds in business are going right away. The Arctic is genuinely genuinely collapsing. Scientists used to call these things the canary in the mine. What they say now is the canary is dead. And so my question, Barbara, is... um, is Ovid exaggerating? Do you think, or is the um, canary dead?
1: Well, the first canary is surely dead. I mean, we, this, the the can the canary that might have warned us that we're headed uh, somewhere that we don't want to be is long dead. As a matter of fact, um, we've known about the potential for climate change for over a hundred years. When I say we, I mean not me, um, scientists who study these things and. Uh, climate scientists have been warning us about severe um, um, con- about their severe concerns for thirty years, as you know. So um, that canary has sung its song. Now I want to go back to the novel and say this quote that you read. Of course, it's like three hundred pages in. So. Um, So a reader should not expect to be lambasted by this novel. This novel is really about people and how we learn, how we refuse to learn, how we talk to each other about difficult problems. Mm. So um, this is some of the things that happen in this novel are that people um, fail to communicate very well. And that was an example. This, this, uh, This scientist is being interviewed by uh, a a TV personality who really won't ask the right questions. She keeps kind of skirting and denying what he's saying until he just has to kind of explode and she runs away and uh, one of the um, spectators has gotten it all on her phone so she posts it on YouTube. Uh It's about the many different ways that we communicate both expressly and accidentally and... um, Some of the reasons for our special difficulty around um, climate change, talking about climate change, why it is that we can all look at the same set of facts. Um, We can look at evidence that, as I said, has been amassed for uh, easily 30 years and longer and still not agree on what we're seeing. That's what interests me as as a novelist, not truth or dare you know not do you or don't you believe Mm. but how do we choose to believe and faith is an important part of this novel too this this novel is about walking the line between faith and reason between conviction um and doubt um the church is very is a very important part of this novel um which I presume is why I'm here.
0: <laughs> well, the church and the church um, uh, presented in the novel is actually um, very concerned about Earth, and it isn't. Uh, sometimes we might have a stereotypical view of the church uh, as as not concerned, perhaps mm-hmm. about uh, things that are uh, regarding Earth and and that type of care. It ends up having oftentimes conservative politics attached to it. Mm-hmm. But but all as with all of the characters in your book, there's no not no stereotype in them. They are they are deep characters uh, from a variety of uh, perspectives.
1: They're characters who are, like the people I know, mm-hmm. very complicated, yeah. full of contradictions, full of surprises. That's what makes a, a character interesting and believable, I think. And I, uh, when I undertook this novel, I, I really wanted to explore the culture where I live, Appalachia but i also wanted to explode some stereotypes and one of the, the ways that i really enjoyed doing that and and i and this is another area of research the the church that these characters attend is um, it's a kind of a mega church it's kind of um, what people call six flags over jesus it's kind of one <laughs> of those churches uh-huh. um, that has its, you know, it's it has its uh, like the the cafe in Christ where you can get your coffee and donut and watch the minister on the screen, or it has the men's fellowship where the the guys go and smoke and listen to country music and um and the <laughs> kind of turn down the sermon and um as well as the sanctuary and so forth. And I thought readers from outside of this region will begin by thinking these people are. Um, a bunch of puppets who are being told what to believe and who are just sort of, I don't know, ditto heads or whatever. But they're not. They're interesting people. They're thoughtful people. And this minister is—he's um, a very uh, typical minister of this region, I think. He's very personable. He tells stories. He kind of serves as a counselor for his mm-hmm. for his um, his congregation and he also is very concerned about um, about God's creation. He feels that the work of the Lord should not be um, carelessly destroyed. So there's complexity, and he uh, there are also a lot of secrets. Everybody in this novel has secrets. Everybody in this novel is connected to the story in some way that will surprise you. So um, I, I've I felt that that was a very um, I I wanted to bring in people of faith to balance the the scientists as sort of all part of this community of decision making and um, and uh, processing the information involved.
0: Barbara Kingsolver is my guest on Religion for Life. She's the author of a new novel uh, set in southern Appalachia called Flight Behavior. And one of my favorite scenes, it's also near the end, but it's when up on the mountain and this biological event is happening and an environmental activist is handing out flyers about, uh, I guess, how we can reduce our carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. And, and Della Robbia asks him, finally, to, to read his list, and, and and none of the things... on. Um, his list of to do less or not to do or things that she would be able to do anyway for economic reasons you know eat
1: less red meat and she says I wish that I could eat red meat and he says take your own cutlery to to the restaurant and she says I haven't been to a restaurant in two years he says turn down the heat we're trying to keep the heat on um I really wanted to to develop the complexity even in these environmental arguments and point out that class is an important component Mm -hmm. of all these conversations and that it is, in some sense, a privilege to have the option of reducing your footprint, something that um, isn't much talked about. There are a lot of layers here to be addressed and also a lot of... um, a lot of conversations to have about why we believe what we believe based on not just the information we have, but the circles and the communities um, that surround us and the people who we feel to be looking out after our own. Um, Kind of, we don't always even get to choose what we're going to believe in, at least to begin with.
0: There's a section, and I was wondering if you would, would read that um, near, also near the end. Um, we talk about the media missing the real story, and, but also the, uh, this territorial divide of, of the sides that seem to be forced upon people.
1: Right. The, the the reasons people believe as they do. This mm-hmm. conversation takes place between Ovid Byron, the scientist, um a Harvard educated who has come in to study this problem, and Delarobia, the protagonist who is from here, the farm wife. And Ovid is a little he's a little baffled and a little frustrated at why local people don't believe in climate change and he says, um, um, it, it it didn't used to be this way. Uh, Fifteen years ago, he says, people knew about global warming, at least in a general way. Um, conservatives or liberals uh, saw it exactly the same way, and now there's a divide. Um, Della Robbia says, well, yeah, people sort themselves out, like kids in a family, you know. They have to stake out their different territories. The teacher's pet or the rascal. She says... I'd say the teams get picked, and then the beliefs get handed around. Team camo, we get the right to bear arms and John Deere and the canning jars and tough love and taking care of our own. The other side wears, I don't know what, something expensive. They get recycling and population control and lattes and as many second chances as anybody wants. Your students emailing you to tell you they deserve their A's. Ovid looked stupefied. What? You're saying this is some kind of contest between the peasant class and the gentry? She returned his look. I definitely don't think I said that. Something like it, he said. One of your teams has all the skills for breaking the frontier, and the other seems to be nursing a restive society that grows in the wake of the plow. Huh, she said. "'But would you not agree the frontiers of this world are already broken?' "'I guess. Maybe.' "'Well, if it's true what you're saying, that this whole crapload is going to blow, then what? We start over?' Ovid said nothing. She knew she'd crossed a line of disrespect, putting it that way. This was like church to him, or children, the thing that kept him awake at night. "'Sorry,' she said. "'I'm just saying.' The environment got assigned to the other team. Worries like that are not for people like us. So says my husband. Hmm.
0: And yet she is the one, Delarobia, who really is a heroine in the sense that she's able to cross that communication divide.
1: She has far to go. That's right. A a good protagonist um, is one who has far to go. And she, she crosses a lot of ground in this novel. And and um, that's, I think, one of the wonderful things a novel can do for a reader, is take you through a journey of self-examination of of exploring exploring new worlds and coming out the other side.
0: Um, you are also personally in, in involved in, in certain activist uh, a- aspects. And, um, for example, I want to thank you on behalf of. Myself and my congregation for lending your voice uh, regarding mountaintop removal. Um, I know that you and Kathy Matea, uh did a view from the mountaintop in 2012 in Knoxville, and I and I wonder: is there a lesson from flight behavior uh, for those of us who are active, perhaps for for Earth or something like that? And and it seems that we're we keep spinning our wheels.
1: Oh, I don't think. Any of us are spinning our wheels. We, okay. oh, we, <laughs> maybe it feels like that. But I, my, my, favorite thing to remember is that Dr. Martin Luther King told us the arc of history is long and progress is sure. Sometimes progress is so slow, we don't see it happening. Um, I wouldn't ever um, presume to say what a person should take away from this novel, what what lesson they might learn from it, because for every reader it's different. You know, mm-hmm. I think, and that's another thing I really love about literary fiction is that um, what you what you receive from it depends entirely on what you bring to it and what you need. Um, it's it's many it supplies many different kinds of nutrient. Uh, for many different kinds of minds. So it isn't one size fits all, but I hope that this novel will invite readers to have a conversation with themselves about what they believe uh, in this world, why they believe it, and how they hope to proceed.
0: Yeah. I found it very hopeful in in many ways, hopeful of the, uh, even as it was put with these divisions between people, Uh, hopeful that uh, we might be able to to listen to one another and and hear the other concerns, especially that division that you talked about regarding class.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the one thing we can be sure about is that calling the other side stupid and throwing rocks over the wall is um, getting us nowhere. So that, I suppose, is really my point of origin for this novel. Um, What... uh, what better way to begin than by really understanding that everyone in every argument on every side of every argument believes he or she is right. That's the novelist's point of view. We have to, we have to believe in all of our characters. Then we put together, um, their conflicts and see what rises up.
0: Barbara Kingsolver has been my guest on religion for life and do pick up her latest novel, uh, flight behavior and, uh, Thank you for being with me today.
1: You're very welcome.
0: You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schuch. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. You can find links to podcasts, uh, information about guests on this show, and information about upcoming programs at the website religionforlife.com. That is religionforlife.com. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, on the campus of East Tennessee State University, and WEHC-FM on the campus of Emory & Henry College in Emory, Virginia. Be well.